everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. We have got another great show, uh, and this show is great for different reasons than our past episodes. Sundar Papu, the VP of Technology for Inland Real Estate Group, is our guest today. And what's going to make this conversation so interesting and exciting and insightful is the fact that Sundar came from a much different IT background before he came to the real estate industry. Uh, he studied in India, computer science and environmental engineering, has worked with Deloitte uh, domestically as well as internationally, United Airlines, Avanade, and JP Morgan. Those are some pretty, pretty uh, sophisticated companies. And uh, the perspective of global uh, adds yet another layer to his uh, approach to IT. And then in 2011, uh, he decided to leave those companies, or at the time I think it was JP Morgan, and come into the real estate industry with Inland. And so um, the most important part of our conversation today is going to be with what you learn from other industries and then you brought them to the real estate industry. How has that affected your journey and how has that affected innovation at Inland? So before we bring on Sundar, we're going to show you a quick little clip. This was from our 20th anniversary in Las Vegas. Uh, I believe it was 2018. And we actually had Sundar and team up on the opening general session stage uh, showing us a little experiment they were doing with voice recognition, Alexa, and their financial accounting system. So let's run the clip and then we're going to bring Sundar in and have a great conversation. Uh, give me rapid fire updates. Rapid fire updates. Get ready to drink from a fire hose. Properties 222, units 1,600, occupancy 87%. Month to date sales 80 million, vacant units 25, pipeline leasing deals 35, under legal review 12, properties sold this month 3, acquired this month 7, account receivable 600,000, accounts payable 250,000, MFFO 800,000. Oh my god, you make me work so hard. Can I get a higher paycheck? We can talk about it later, but what's your advice for everyone at Realcom? Realcom is celebrating 20 years anniversary, and it will be a wonderful learning experience. I hope you all have a great conference. But remember, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Good luck. You all have a great conference. All right. Do you remember that? Yep, I do. I was, uh, it was an interesting experience, I'll tell you that, doing it live with, uh, you know. Uh, Everything in the world could have went wrong, right? Exactly. I, but, but, but we we know and love failure. We've dropped drones in our general session. We've had you know robots almost walk off the stage. Um, you don't get anywhere without taking risks. Who are the two other gentlemen with you? Give them a little shout out. Sure, definitely. Uh, so uh, the other two people are, are members of my team. Uh, the first person that was on my left, uh, his name was Kaushlesh Chandal, and the one on my right was Anand Dungao. Um, so they are basically a part of my team. Now, I, I know what you were doing was take you know, voice recognition and apply it to your accounting system. Um, I'm not sure if that ever made its way into mainstream you know, life at Inland, but what was, why did you even do that? What was the purpose? Just to see how far you could take it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so this was, uh, came, up, came about based on a lunchtime discussion that we were having at the time, wherein people was talking about hey, I can actually turn my lights on in my home, you know, using Alexa, uh, like through a voice-based platform. So we said, okay, if it can work for some of those things, why can't we apply that to 
a, uh, a, data, a financial database or like um, a data warehouse that we had built in where we can actually aggregate the data and provide it to our end users. So that was the whole. It was great. I mean, and I am so grateful that you took the chance, the risk, uh, and we would have been okay if uh, Alexa kind of started to smoke and burn, but uh, <laughs> it actually turned it turned out very well. So Thanks. let's uh, one of as I mentioned in the opening, uh, what really fascinates me about you and a number of CIOs coming into our industry is that you're coming from other industries and you're bringing you know Fortune 250 experience, very big IT shops into an industry that's been a little slower to adapt. So. What did you learn from your global IT Fortune 250 experience that when you came in our industry, you go, wow, I can really use these skills? Sure. Um, you know, when, when I worked at most of these companies, whether it's at United Airlines, uh, at JP Morgan, or at Deloitte, um, you know, the, the commonality with some of these things were, you know, how far ahead from a technology perspective these companies were actually applying and getting value for the dollar that they were spending and the customer retention and other things that were coming through. Um, so that was one of the key things. Uh, and an example uh, is, you know, when I joined United, United was basically in its bankruptcy. So every dollar that we were basically getting, you had to spend wisely. But at the same time, you had to actually be innovative in actually providing value to your customers and basically be ahead of the competition or in line with the competition. And that's a, a good value that you can actually learn from to say how far you can take a dollar that's being spent on. Uh, working in JP Morgan Chase, like, you know, they're always at the cutting edge of technology. You know, they had, you know, if you look at the banking industry today, they call themselves more of a technology company than a financial services company. And the reason for that is they see the value in technology and how technology drives the business going forward. So those are things that you learn, you know, that you can bring together. And, you know, we were able to apply that here at Inland. But if we're going to use an automobile metaphor, if JP Morgan, United Airlines and Deloitte, you know, were doing 80 miles an hour, uh, as it relates to technology. Okay, the speed limit was 70, but they're going 80. They're really pushing the envelope. Yep. When you first got into our industry, how fast were we going? Uh, to be honest with you, we were going at about 10 to 15 miles. Um, wow. You know, I joined in 2011. Um, again, at you know, within Inland, we had made significant progress, right? So we, you know, we've seen the value of technology that it brings in. Uh, but you look at the overall span of the real estate industry itself, there were some companies that were far ahead, you know, using technology, but most of the industry was way behind the right. curve. And well, I, yeah, I'm sorry, Dr. Stott. So, you know, since then, like in the last 10 years, we made significant progress. But, you know, even in the 10 years that we see that we are where we are at, you know, the other companies, the other industries are 10 years ahead of us. Right. So it'll be take, it'll take us a long time to catch up to that. Well, I remember, I think it was 2005 or so in our opening general session, the last slide was Elon Musk is to the automobile industry as X is to the commercial real estate industry. Who is X? In other words, who is going to be that transformative CEO that was really going to come and push the envelope. And, and although we've got a lot of good organizations, especially in the RealCom, IBCon community, I have not seen that transformative 
I mean, from the high level, from the executive leadership down, um, you know, grab onto those reins. Um, let's let's talk about some specifics. Um, give me examples of three, two or three projects that you've worked on at Inland that demonstrate just how innovative you guys are. Sure. Um, the one thing that you already saw, you know, in the video there, like you know, that was, you know, initially it started out with a small product wherein we wanted to, you know, get some data, provide some data. But then we said, okay, how would you actually take that further in actually creating reports or creating text messages or, you know, information that you wanted to get in or create dashboards? So those were things that you could actually build out of it, right? So the, the foundation was built in. We were able to take that and move further. The second thing is, uh, you know, we just, uh, recently implemented the ERP. We, we, you know, we had um, did a full ERP implementation uh, of moving from very from many different sources of data into ERD. So we we reduced our applications by we reduced uh, seven applications and we moved into ERD, and ERD became our source of truth now. In doing so, what happens is like you have all this data that you had to convert and put it into the Yardi tool set. It required a lot of like testing that needed to be done, manual testing, and the time was short, right? So what we had to do was like, think outside of the box, basically say, could we actually create um, a, you know, a tool set, like an, a created a business case where we were able to uh, use robotic process automation to validate um, the logic as a test case, and mm -hmm. then we're able to ensure all this data that was migrated was fully tested. Exactly. exactly yeah. So, so in a way, what we did is, you know, when when we do testing, we don't do the full data set. We just do only small subsets. Right. But we were able to actually do the full gamut of data that was actually coming through. So you used automation to test the automation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and and the third thing that we actually are looking at. Uh, which we started actually a couple of years ago is on the budgeting and forecasting side of the house. Uh, we are using AI and ML uh, okay. to actually see how you could actually create a expense model um, and then you know basically apply that, right? So we started with one property. We looked at all the data sources that come in through here. We created one model and then we extended it to five models. It's labor intensive, um, you know, but at the same time, what we saw is that, you know, from a variance perspective, the ML model, you know, because it's five years worth of previous year's data, we were able to reduce it to, you know, the variance was close to about one to 2%. Whereas like if it was a manual budget that was created, it was around five to 7%. So, so at what point, do, when do we get to the point where you wake up in the morning, you turn your computer on and says, hey boss, you need to sell all the buildings in the Northwest and buy some in the in the Southeast. I mean, when does that take come? So that's, that's the critical part. <laughs> and uh, you know, what we are doing is like, because it's manually intensive when you're actually using, you know, a, a person or like data scientists creating this particular model, uh, we are looking at some you know, we, you know, I'm looking at some software that can actually, ML software that's out there. Uh, and there are startup companies that actually want to do this and they want to come right. into a space. So 
if we can find a software that can actually help this do on scale, that's when we can actually do that. So by June for RealCom, do you think you'll have a, a, a machine learning AI conversation to uh, to share? I think we will probably have something to talk about. Um, awesome. So I think- Even we, if it's in the early stages, we need to yeah. understand, yeah. Uh, so before we get to the break, I, I want to squeeze one more question in. Um, we were talking about it earlier, and I think it's really important. Uh, Silicon Valley, there's a saying, fail often and fail fast, right? Yeah. Because iterative you know, design is what gets you to the end goal and complex things take time. Our industry has failed once and you're fired, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, it has been like that for 50 years. Yeah. You said earlier that you know, you've actually been given permission to fail. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about the number of projects, your failure rate, and how your executive leadership allowed you to do that? Sure. Uh, most of these projects that we do are internal to what we do, right? So like, you know, we actually sit down with our business leads, we understand their pain points, and then we say, how are, how are things that we can do, we can make it better. And we create these pilot projects. Um, the number that I have is like, you know, we have done close to about, you know, anywhere from about 60 to 65 projects. And we have a failure rate of about 90%. You don't even flinch when you say a failure rate of 90%. <laughs> there, is nothing, there is nothing bad about it, right? There's so, nothing wrong. Yeah, that's right, awesome. So the only thing is like when you fail, you basically know what, you know, you learn some lessons that you can apply to the future projects or future pilot projects that you may do. Now, I understand you're building a, you know, a 50 story building. You can't fail. I get that. No, I understand. Okay? Yeah, but before you build that 50, you know, floor, uh, 50 story project, you know, having a lab, testing things out, trying new devices, new systems, having a warehouse where you have an R&D lab. That's one thing our industry just doesn't do is R&D, right? And I mean, and you can't keep building these you know, $100 million you know, dollar structures without R&D. And yeah. the, the iterations aren't enough to really move the needle. Right. And, and, and this is where my experience working at United actually does help. Wherein we, you know, when, whenever we actually do some of these projects, we basically put it as a dollar amount and we actually track to that particular dollar amount. Um, so that way we are not actually exceeding. And we know at the middle, like, you know, even in the first few stages, if that particular project is going to be successful or not. Right. So if it is then, then we pull the plot. You know, you don't need to actually move forward if you know that that the project is not going to go well. You're not going to learn to hit the ball better unless you're swinging. But yeah. I mean, you just won't. All right, let's take a brief break and come back. And I got a whole bunch of questions uh, to wrap up with Sundar. Coming clean, healthy spaces, friendly eyes new and familiar faces. You help make it possible to bring people together again. But with elevated hygiene standards, you need new tools to help you succeed. Great hygiene starts in the restroom and Onvation makes it easy. Kimberly Clark Professional, featuring trusted brands Scott and Purell, now brings you Onvation, your connected software solution that brings intelligence into the restroom. With Onvation, you gain real-time visibility on product consumption and traffic patterns, helping to improve facility hygiene. Onvation enables smart, proactive restroom servicing so you can help assure the wellness of others as they return to work. Your job helps us. All right, you know, it's, it's interesting that the commercial we just saw about the smart bathroom, I think it was probably 2001, 2002, Howard 
had set up a smart build a bathroom uh, demo inside our, our innovation showcase at Realcom. And we had IP connected paper towel holders, uh, uh, um, water uh, drainage, uh, leak detectors. I mean, basically the whole bathroom was IP enabled. This was what, 20 years ago. And here it took 20 years in a pandemic to get that idea really back into the forefront. That's what I don't, I still don't understand why those good ideas didn't you know, take, uh, take off faster. Um, so let, let's talk about how they took off faster inside Inland. We talked earlier about how it was really because of your executive leadership team and specifically your chief operating officer who kind of took the bull by the horns and said, I'm going to stand behind Sunder and team and we're going to digitally transform this company. When and, and, and what was the moment that you realized this guy was on your team? Sure. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, it was probably around 2012, 2013 in that particular range, right? So I joined Inland in 2011. Um, uh, Tim Hutchinson, our, our um, our chief operating officer had basically been behind everything that we do. Um, basically, he's the one who's promoting technology. He understood that we were way behind the curve from a technology perspective, and he was our cheerleader, right? So when anything that we wanted to, we would go to him, and he never said no. Um, there, would, there may be a few times that, that he may have said no, but, uh, but most of the times he has always been very... Uh, encouraging and basically providing us with the resources we need to get our things done. Um, so he fought for you when you weren't in the room. Right. So he basically, he took the, uh, he actually helped us to, you know, move the the needle, um, you know, in, and helped us to, you know, take our idea, uh, take the idea and the cost considerations and basically brought it to the board or basically to the other business leaders to actually help, you know, create that particular, you know, um, value that we would get if we moved this route. And the good thing is like, you know, by his, uh, you know, his foresight and by basically him helping us out, we were far ahead, you know, in our infrastructure side of the house and even on the application side of the house. Um, you know, that actually helped us like, you know, to, you know, easily move over to, you know, when the pandemic had, we were, you know, it was basically very easy for us to actually, you know, accommodate, you know, remote workers. With, with you were people. ready. Yeah. 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 Well, so because you've worked in such a wide variety of pretty big IET shops outside of our industry, and you mm -hmm. were fortunate to have somebody like him once you got to our industry, in your opinion, can any significant IT projects ever really happen without the support of somebody inside that executive suite? No, um, you know, that that's basically the case even within uh, the big organizations that I worked out to, I work with. Um, sometimes, you know, you may have the greatest idea in the world, uh, but unless you have the, the business sponsorship and someone who can actually work with you to actually see that to the fruition, um, I don't think it is going to go anywhere. I, I've actually had conversations with relatively significant real estate organizations that don't even have a CIO. Hmm. I mean, given the, the complexity of the transaction, the multiple of, you know, of data, that we, the multiples of data that we deal with in between those transactions, now the impact on IoT on the building itself, how can a real estate organization survive without having a CIO? Yeah, I, I, 
again, I do not know. <laughs> that's a that's a mind baffling question. Unless uh, you know, like the value, like that you you know, from a CIO perspective, the CIO could be a director of technology who is basically overseeing it. Unless they are actually swapping the verbiage, or like the title name there. Uh, I think that's the only thing I can think about. Well, it, it, let's let, let, let's hone in on something very specific. Because of the insight, the willingness to take risk, the vision of your senior leadership and enabling you to do what you do, you said when the pandemic hit, it was no problem. I know for a fact that many, many, many real estate organizations struggled and continue to struggle with getting certain parts of their uh, organization into a hybrid mode, come into the office, but be able to work at home. Systems, location of data, cloud applications, equipment in the homes, lots of you said you just moved right in and you had no problem. No, yeah, I agree. So the reason for that is like the investments that we started putting in from 2016. So in 2016 is when we said like, let's actually, you know, upgrade the infrastructure that, you know, that was very outdated, right? So we put in a significant amount of money there. We also started the cybersecurity program in 2016. So we had cybersecurity policies that were actually reviewed by our legal and by outside counsel um, that basically said, here are the policies that every individual IV employee at Inland has to review and sign off on. So, that right, is so let, let's unpack that one. So 2016, that was five, six years ago. That was right around the time Realcom, IBCon started getting you know rumors and, and rumblings about cyber attacks inside buildings. Billy Reels wrote up an article that's still talked about today about some buildings that were vulnerable. Um, five plus years later, you know, Real Estate Cyber Consortium is now up and running. Some really uh, devoted folks just you know, carrying that torch for five years now. Five years ago, we were just trying to figure out what was going on. Your organization said, now is the time to start investing in cybersecurity in a big way for our organization. How did you have the insight? Who gave you permission? And what have the results been? You know, part of it was driven by, you know, the headlines that you see in the newspaper, right? So you see these big headlines saying so-and-so was hacked or so-and-so was, you know, was um, has been impacted by, you know, a hacker coming in and basically taking over the data. Data is the key, right? So the data is the king in this particular industry. And, you know, so given all that, we said, like, we did not have a good enough posture across the board. And what we did is like, by putting in the, the tools, you know, the best of breed tools at the time and creating a policy set on each one of them actually helped. Mm -hmm. At no point, I would say that we were ready in a year or so. It's still a journey for us. Yeah, it's still a journey for us. I think we will be, you know, you know, hopefully by end of this year, we'll be better than where we are like in 2016. And yeah. my takeaway from the whole conversation is really the support of your upper management. To okay. me, that we can all buy the technology. Our exhibit floor is always filled with great organizations that have the solutions. The willingness to put together a concise strategy and the wherewithal to move forward is the difference, right, between companies. So, you know, you're on an elevator. You got a bunch of your peers. You got 30 seconds till you hit the first floor. What's your you know, last tidbit of advice to them before the door opens? You know, um, take a look at what you have today and basically be, you know, always be looking to see what is coming down the pipeline, right? So what is going to hit you? And you have to be aware of 
you know, how that change can impact us and be ready for that. So then, that's basically what we look for. And then what advice would you give to somebody who maybe his executive leadership team doesn't really have or offer the support that yours does? Is there anything that, that IT executives can do to, to educate, encourage um, their senior leadership to, to take this topic more strategically? Um, okay, can you repeat the question? I did not get the last part there. So. Yeah, what, what can IT professionals do to encourage their executive leadership to, to better understand the strategic impacts of technology and to get more support from those executives? Sure. Uh, I think uh, the best thing that we, we can do is if we can demonstrate a clear ROI on the projects that we are doing. So that will be the first key piece, right? So an example, like in our case was, not only we were demonstrating that the value based on uh, the project that we were doing, but we were also making sure that the projects that we were doing were coming under budget and also on time. Got it. Um, in 90% of my projects were basically under budget and on and, and, and Repeat that one more time. 90% of our projects came under budget and were basically on time. I don't think we could leave with anything better. That's a testimony to your vision and capacity to execute, which is more important or equally as important vision. So that's under, uh, we are out of time. We could talk forever, but I really appreciate you taking the time but also for being the leader that you are, not just within your organization, but sharing your insight with our industry and helping others. Uh, it's really appreciated. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for your time. Have a great day. Be well. Thank you. Thanks. All right. All right. With that, let's bring on Mr. Berger, uh, who's going to uh, share with us the real estate news for the week. And uh, great, great discussion with Sundar. I knew it would be. Uh, he's pretty special. Oh yeah, I, I mean, and there were a million things that he didn't have a chance to talk about. Exactly, that would blow everybody's minds. Too. He, he got a couple of zingers in there, though. The couple of zingers were sixty-five projects, ninety percent failed. Love that one. Um, uh, you know, ninety percent of his projects uh, uh, under budget, on time. Uh, you know, I mean, and he's willing to risk and take chances. That's that's a pretty good uh, report card. Yep, yep. Yeah, he, he is. He is special. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to let you do the news and I'll see you in a couple minutes. I'll be, be back shortly. Uh, and, and thank you, Jim. And, and Sunder, thank you. It was a great conversation, my friend. Uh, so on to the news. I'm going to highlight just a couple of the articles from our weekly news briefing. And our lead article this week come from Tom Shercliffe and Rob Murkison, co-founders of Intelligent Buildings. And so with all the looming threats, and especially from foreign bad actors, the commercial real estate industry is realizing that our building systems our HVAC, our lighting, elevators, door locks, access control, parking, surveillance, digital signage, and more, they're all increasingly at risk of cyber hacks. And most of that risk, unfortunately, originates with the contractors who install and manage those systems. Now, incorporating vendor risk management is now fundamental to a comprehensive cyber program. It's not an easy lift because we often have multiple vendors who've installed and managed multiple systems, sometimes multiple buildings in different geographic areas and a lot of other complexities. And in this article, Tom and Rob, they do a great job breaking down what it takes to create a comprehensive cyber program. And in subsequent articles, they'll be addressing those elements of risk and some of the consequences like insurance gaps, downtime, equipment replacement, network hopping, brand damage. Great article. Next, um, Digital Twins Consortium and Project Haystack, they've entered into an agreement to collaborate on digital twin enabling technologies. It's going to make it easier to adopt digital twins. Very important. 
Uh, they'll be collaborating on open source on standards and interoperability issues such as taxonomy and security and informational and behavioral models, reference tax, tech stack, case study development. It's going to take some work, but this I think this is a really an important milestone for the maturation of the digital twin standard. Uh, next, back on cyber, uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, they issued an alert on the increased globalized threat of ransomware. Uh, throughout 2021, the bad guys have been evolving their ransomware tactics and techniques, and they've been showing growing technological sophistication and a greatly increased ransomware th threat to organizations on a global basis. This report really dives into some of the new behaviors of cyber criminals like so phishing emails, RDP, uh, you know, des remote desktop exploitation and exploitation of software vulnerabilities still remain the top three initial infection vectors for ransomware in uh, incidents. And the market for cybercrime has become increasingly professional in 2021 with a huge increase in cyber criminals for hire. The ransomware business is really matured. Uh, one of the other observations is that cyber criminals are shifting away from big game targets and now focusing on mid-sized victims to kind of stay under the radar. This report dives into various techniques ransomware groups have employed to increase their impact. I can't go into all the details, but strongly suggest you read the CISA alert. Uh, finally, how far should retailers go using computer vision or CV on shoppers? Retailers, uh, retailers have found lots of use cases for computer vision from surveillance to sentiment analysis to line management. And that process of capturing, storing, analyzing shopper images can generate great inserts and outputs, but at the same time impose serious ethical challenges for the retailers. Some of the most popular CV applications are combining high-def cameras, artificial intelligence to detect customers who may have missed scans at the self-checkouts in stores. Then there's applying AI and augmented reality for trying on clothes, plus adding incentive and analysis based on facial analysis can now prompt personalized in-store advertising or trigger other inputs where the retailers can do things to enhance customer satisfaction. Uh, also, problems arise if the algos or the algorithms aren't trained correctly. There's a huge risk of inaccurate outputs. Bottom line, we need better regulations around CV and retailers need to promote a culture of transparency, make customers aware of the technologies that are being applied to collect, process, and use their data. That's it for me today. I, I thank you all for watching. Uh, great show. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you all next week. All right. So, Howard, um, as always, great news. The one that caught my attention was the uh, the ransomware. I mean, I don't know if the audience knows it, but that industry is so sophisticated, probably for two, three, possibly even four or five years now. Ransomware companies actually have, like, customer service desks where, where you know, if you're ransomware, you know, if you're a victim, you, you call in and you get a you know person who's in a call center someplace. I mean, um, their business and, models and processes rival Fortune one, you know, five hundred companies. Yeah. yeah. Well, think about it. Somebody on a headset helping you, you know, get out of your ransomware attack by sending Bitcoin. Absolutely bizarre. But the thing that you said the most that scared me was, and it makes all the sense in the world. Get out of the limelight with the high-profile headline makers. Go for those mid-level companies, many of which are in our industry who don't have the resources, aren't spending the time, money, or energy. And so that's just another shout out for people to start taking cyber <clears throat> more serious than they are. Yeah, they're gonna be turning their attention on our guys. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you, great job. Have a good weekend and I'll see you soon. Thanks, All right, me. before we uh, wrap the show, let's hear from our final sponsor. And I'm gonna tell you about a really special guest next week and a topic you're all gonna be very interested in.
Next week's guest uh, is not just an, uh, an associate or a peer. Uh, Scott Maury is a friend. And Scott and I have been friends uh, for about 25 years now. I remember sitting in his office while he was the CIO at Equity Office in Chicago. And the first, I think it was one of the first times I met him. And this is 25 years ago. We're sitting around, he's sitting around telling me how he's thinking about analyzing the rotations and motors and equipment in the building to try to. Uh, predict whether or not that piece of equipment was going to fail. Predictive maintenance on physical equipment 25 years ago. The guy is, has been, and will always be brilliant. He's had a great career uh, leadership at uh, number one companies in our industry. Um, and now he's at WeWork, okay? And he's the president, technology and innovation for a company that's had a, had a pretty rough you know, uh, time. But the leadership team they've got in there now is just top grade, A+. Plus. And Scott is going to share with us some of the ideas that he thinks uh, uh, things are going to be happening in the flex space industry and the outlook for 2022. And given all this uncertainty about going back to office and will leases be renewed and what are my options, flex space is going to be in the headlines more and more. And we're going right to the top and talking to one of the smartest people. So please join us next week as we talk to Scott Morey, President of Technology Innovation at WeWork, uh, for a great conversation. You all have a great day. Be well, and we will see you next week.